Hello and welcome to the Audio Epic Storytelling Podcast. I have to apologize because um, today's episode comes a bit late, a few days late actually. But um, I can explain. You see, um, work, migraines, stuff came up. Sorry. Anyway, here's the new episode. I hope you will enjoy it. It's a very long one, but I didn't want to split it up, which is another reason why um, it took a bit longer to publish, because there was a lot of editing that I had to do. So, uh, well, anyway, here it is. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome once more to the Audio Epics Storytelling Podcast. And um, tonight, because it's evening, I'm drinking linden tea. <laughs> I'm drinking super berries tea. Because it's uh, it's kind of relaxing. There's no caffeine in it. No, yeah, linden tea is like that also. It's very soothing. It's like chamomile, but it's got a bit more taste. And it's a bit slimy, really enough. It is a bit slimy, yes. It does. It does taste like I'm drinking from a warm pond somewhere. Hmm. <laughs> very nice. Yes. Anyway, if I sound a bit passive, it's because I'm recovering from. Uh, a throat and ear infection, and also perhaps because I'm a little bit pregnant. You are very pregnant. Yeah, I'm actually very pregnant. Our second uh, child is due around Easter. Yeah, and it looks like you've got a football hidden underneath your shirt. <laughs> yeah, but both conditions are not <laughs> contagious over the internet, so no worries there. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to talk about grammar and spelling. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, no, um, we're not really. Only a little bit. We're going to talk about common storytelling mistakes. And some of those are grammar and spelling related. Yeah, so we're going to talk a bit about uh, grammar and spelling first, then... Um, so if you really don't like that, just skip ahead to... <laughs> skip ahead to the more interesting part. Uh, then we'll move on to some more uh, general mistakes in storytelling. And finally, we'll tell you a bit about the juicy mistakes we often make ourselves. Yes, we make writing. mistakes. Yeah, a lot. We have to admit it. At some point, yeah. you were going to find out, yeah. so... And it's yeah. better that you know it in advance, because... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, a little bit of uh, grammar and spelling. A small anecdote on that. Um, once I did correct someone, um, he, was, um, he was also Flemish, uh, and he had written kind of a poem, and uh, it was about, you know, some kind of love situation... Um, so he was not a native English speaker and he had written, you've hurt me too deep, the scarf will never disappear. <laughs> so I did point out to him what a scarf was <laughs> and that he probably meant scar. Well, you and probably <laughs> helped him out and saved him from a lot of embarrassment. Oh, right. No, it wasn't a poem. It was back in the days when we used MSN Messenger, remember? Yeah, yeah. It was his nickname because then... That was when people had these really long nicknames <laughs> that were like whole sentences. Yeah, true. Yeah, so that's a long time ago. But I then I, I had I had to say something. On a side note, I just threw away a pair of trousers today because, um, you know, they were 
damaged at the knee. I used to be an adventurer like you. Then I took an arrow in the knee. And um, so I put on another pair and I noticed they're damaged in the exact same location. I think our son makes us makes me crawl on my knees too much. <laughs> well, it won't get better in the future with two of those no. <laughs> crawling around. Yeah. Maybe if um, if our listeners want to donate <laughs> your yeah. trousers, they can. Yeah. You can send you can send us your trousers <laughs> and win a free copy. <laughs> so uh, spelling and grammar was drilled at university. So obviously, we think it's it's not unimportant, especially for aspiring writers. Uh, although it's not a disaster if you're uh, terrible at spelling and grammar. Actually, Brandon Sanderson has admitted that he uh, he sucks at spelling. Well, he hasn't just admitted it. Uh, if you watch his, uh, <laughs> if you watch his uh, his classroom recordings, and you see him write on the blackboard, he really is a terrible speller, and he has terrible handwriting too. So that, on a side note, you can <laughs> seek help. It's not a it's not embarrassing or something. You can really do that. We all have our specialties and the things we suck at. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, the thing is, um, it's only normal that you make mistakes, and when you have a self-published book, and you don't have some, you don't pay someone to to proofread it. These things are difficult to get out. I mean, I wrote two self-published books, and I know that there are still mistakes in them. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's because I was the proofreader. <laughs> So, but yeah, if, if you go, <laughs> if you use, a, if you have a publisher, they'll make sure that that is limited. Um, so we've summed up about uh, seven examples for writing in English. Okay, let's have them because... Uh, Are you starting to fall asleep? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <No. laughs> go on. Um, so number one is subject-verb agreement. It's a very common mistake and often has to do the mistake mm. with a singular... Versus plural. Yeah, it's it would be something like they walks. That would be the most egregious example. Um, yeah, if you write a character like Gollum, then you can, <laughs> you can, you do, can that. do that. Yes. Often people sum up two characters and then still use the singular verb, and that's I think the most common mistake uh, when it comes to subject verb uh, agreements. Like Jack Lost. and Jill walks in the park. Something like that. Jack and Jill is walking in the park. <laughs> okay. But hey, we're not, we're not native speakers, so correct us. And then you have sentence fragments. You know, um, like when you have a new sentence where there is no subject, no verb, or it's just part of a former sentence. Or you have run-on sentences, which is really two main clauses merged together when you should really have started a new sentence. Am I still making sense? Yeah, you are making sense to me. So, it, uh, yeah. basically, sentences that are too short or too long, you could say. Yeah, which brings us to the next topic, um, mistakes with interpunction. There are numerous. For example, yeah, wrong use of colons. Then, uh, compound sentences without a semicolon or a period. Uh, lack of commas is also something you, um, you might find in prose a lot. Uh, for example, after uh, an introduction part of a sentence. Um, but the opposite is also true. Superfluous commas. Uh, for example, uh, 
commas used with or or because. Um, there are actually numerous examples of mm. the yeah, mistakes with interpunction. Yes. And then there is misplaced or dangling modifiers. I'd best just give an example. After having confessed his sins, the conversation felt more relaxed. What's wrong with this sentence? Uh, yeah, I, I would say after having confessed his sins, he felt the conversation was more yeah. relaxed. Yeah, he should be the, the subject. Yeah, so you because, can't change the subject. Because too. after having confessed his sins um, implies that you know there is a he who confessed his sins. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> let's have another subject. one. And get this over with. Yeah, let's move on to the juicy part. Three more people, three more, and then, then we're through. Vague pronouns. Uh, what I mean is when a pronoun doesn't... It's not really clear from the context who the pronoun refers to. For example, when Ludlow saw Fulcrin, he looked really happy. Yeah, you don't know who looked really happy. Who looked happy, happy yeah. yeah. Ludlow or, Fulc or, or Fulcrin. Because Fulcrin is a boy. <laughs> then um, wrong use of words. That's also a very big category. Uh, words could be used in the wrong context. Uh, you could use them with the wrong meaning. Oh, for example, with literally, because literally everybody uses it. <laughs> and that would be a, a wrong use of literally, right? <laughs> yeah, literally is, is a, a very good example of a word that gets misused again and again. Very much so. I think in most cases you can just leave Lose it out. It, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's something that people use because they feel like they need to add another word. The funniest examples to me are when people use the word literally when they actually mean figuratively. Uh, for example, um, when I came home with my bad report card, my dad was so angry he literally exploded. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? Uh, <laughs> and another uh, funny example I heard, it was in Dutch and it doesn't really translate to English, but... It would compare to someone saying um, that optician literally caught my eye. <laughs> so he thought he could use the word literally because, uh, you know, optician and an yeah. eye. But, yes. But no, not in this context. Uh, you, can, yes. you cannot use it. Oh, we could talk a long time about the misuses of the word literally. Maybe we should. We could talk dedicate. literally all night. <laughs> <laughs> we could dedicate an entire episode yeah. on that. It would be funny, probably. So, if you have any um, funny examples of the misuse of the word literally, we would I, I, I like love the, to read them in the I comments. I like the one from Futurama, when Fry said, I'm literally angry with rage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Yes. Let's literally move on. Yeah. Other, um, other things are, of course, things spelling mistakes like there. You know, there are various ways you can spell there. Yeah, it usually happens with homophones or similar sounding words. Um, the, the difference between its and its is also um, when you use yeah. its uh, yeah. or uh, except it is. Yeah. And except. Uh, yeah. Excess versus access. They sound similar, but people. Leave can, versus yeah. leaf. Um, yeah, things like that. There are numerous examples of that. Alas grammatical mistake before we move on to the next topic um, would be a lack of parallel structure 
An example of that would be this sentence. Ludlov's hobbies were slaying vampires, killing monsters, praying to the goddess, horses and books. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a funny one. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, and why is it funny? Because... Yeah, because... It sounds like Ludlov prays to horses. You should consistently use verbs uh, in lists or no verbs. But uh, if you mix them up, you get funny stuff. Like, now it's, you could interpret uh, the sentence as if Ludlov likes praying to the goddess, to horses and to books. Yes. Which so is obviously could, not the case. Riding horses and reading books would be... Would, would be make bet, Would fix yeah. it. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Finally! Before <laughs> all our listeners commit suicide. Yes, please, please, <laughs> don't give up yet. <laughs> you okay. can do this. <laughs> Bear with us. <laughs> now, now let's talk about stylistic mistakes. Right, we kind of made this short list of uh, 10 topics based on the lists that agents uh, make about manuscripts that they refused, mm. actually. Okay. So those were things that really um, repeatedly came back in, in those kind of articles. Okay, okay. That's nice. Let's have it. Okay, so the first one is uh, no consistent perspective and tense. Um, this uh, reminds us of the former episodes where we talked about perspective. Uh, the, the right. Point of view and tense. Um, or structure, so uh, a story that lacks perspective, tense, or structure. Yeah, so uh, an, an example would be um, if you have a scene that is written from the point of view of one character and then suddenly you also describe the thoughts and the feelings of another character that you shouldn't know. And in the point. next chapter you suddenly have an omniscient narrator who talks about all kinds of stuff and then... I mean, yeah, I get. I mean, you could do that if if you do it very consciously. And then in the next chapter, you start but writing a science fiction novel instead of fantasy, and talk about an entirely different world, and and your character suddenly becomes a guy instead of a girl. And well, maybe maybe <laughs> you could classify it as literary fiction then, and be done. With it. <laughs> yeah, in literary fiction, anything can happen. Okay, yeah. Uh, the second one is using written language in dialogue. Yeah, what what we mean by that is that dialogue should be credible for a character. I don't think it's recommended to use literary language in dialogues. Unless you have a literary character, of course, like a, a Fraser Crane or a Niles Crane. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do like that in, in the show. Perhaps uh, not all of our listeners are old enough to remember Fraser. Fraser was um, a sitcom on TV, and the main character is a psychiatrist, and he talks in a very erudite way, and, and so does uh, his brother Niles, who is also one of the main characters. But their dad is a normal guy. He's yeah, a, I mean, he's a retired cop. Like all psychiatrists, they have a lot of issues. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the the dad is a is a retired cop, and so he talks in a normal way. And so it's really quite well done how the writers in that show distinguish the characters in in the way they speak. It's well written. Yeah, right. Um, so Fraser does use, you know, million dollar words. Yeah. <laughs> Elaborate sentences. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but that's fine. But what does become a problem is if characters speak to each other and what should be natural conversation becomes, you know, an essay. Yeah, for example, if you're 
if your character is a a teenage addict, they will not they will probably not use all these fancy words. They will not ask you, are you done yet? But they will ask, you done? Or something? Yeah, I guess you you could really make this uh, topic a bit wider and say writing dialogue that, do, that doesn't fit with the character. Yeah. Because it could be the other way around. It could be a very old character using very modern language might also sound wrong. Yeah, a, a British intellectual would not say, excuse me for a moment, I'm going to take a shit or something. Yes, uh, and, and another thing is, yeah, if, if you... I would say, I'm going to powder my nose. If you're an American and you're writing a book and one of the characters is English, you should watch out for words like elevator, etc. Yeah. Because they probably wouldn't use that. Okay, a, a third um, common mistake in storytelling is that the story lacks conflict or fear. That's why dystopian YA is very popular and utopian YA is not a genre. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the <laughs> essence of drama is conflict, as everyone probably has heard. There is really no story if, if everything's always easy and there are no challenges. It's like, imagine playing a video game where you only have to walk up to an enemy and they fall down dead. And then treasure rains from the sky <laughs> and you immediately level up to level... One billion. That's Those not a very fun boring. video game. <laughs> but I think they exist, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, they might be fun for a few moments, <laughs> but gets old very quick, I guess. Yeah, it's like when you use these cheat codes. Right, yeah. Back in the days when yeah. they still had a PlayStation 1 that was very popular. And, and it was fun for like half an hour. And mm. then you started to get bored because everything was too easy. Exactly. It's why uh, Superman has kryptonite. You cannot have a story with a, a main character who, you know, is not challenged at all by anything. Right? Yeah. Because it's, it's just, there's nothing there. Then There's and, no story. Um, number four, you cannot have a good story with a, a weak character. Yeah. For example, an unbelievable or bland or unlikable or flat or passive character. That doesn't really work unless that's actually... The main character's trait, and, and it's a side character. But if you really don't like your main character, uh, that, that really bores me, and I, I, I quit reading. I do too. Although in some sort of highbrow, award-winning, independent films, they've done that. Yeah, I remember Rosetta, which was yeah. an award-winning uh, movie. And we had to watch it in school. And everyone was like, oh, this is such a great movie. And <laughs> it's so special and it's so emotional. And I was like, I really disliked this character. I was so mm. bored with this movie because she got all these opportunities along the way um, and help. And she just, she was so damn passive. She didn't do anything. And I wanted to slap her in the face. And that's not a good feeling. When you're watching a, a movie. And uh, the same was true uh, for me. Uh, because a lot of people disagree uh, with the dude. <laughs> I thought the he big was Lebowski. so annoying. I, he was so annoying. And I actually knew a couple of people who were really like that. So <laughs> it was not like this over-the-top character for me. It was just plain annoying. And that made me like the movie less than... Well, it, it is subjective, of course. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, Dick Solomon uh, from Third Rock from the Sun, another 90s sitcom that I really like. I mean, he's an extremely annoying person, but um, I love the character precisely because he's so, in a way, because he's so annoying. But, but he, he, he is not annoying on purpose. That, no, and he's not just annoying, he's, he's also, he has this childlike, yeah. naive quality to himself because he's, yeah. he's, he's an alien, he's not a, a human yeah. being, so he doesn't know the way the world works and that makes him kind of cute in yeah, his that's arrogance true. and that's irritability. True. That's true, yeah. So I think there's a, a thin line there. Um, yeah. Some people will like a character... Didn't you read the book, The Name of the Wind? Uh, ah, yes. A lot of people... Here's the thing, yeah. Th this book, Name of the Wind, by Patrick Rothfuss, has been called this amazing book by so many people. It was a big hit. In the world of fantasy novels, it was, it was major. So obviously, when you saw it in a store at the airport, you needed to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I saw all these rave reviews um on the cover from you know people like robin hobb and and i thought wow okay uh, this must be really good i've never heard of this so i started reading and i didn't like the book to be honest and it i f often feel like i'm the only one uh because everyone loves it but for me i thought the main character was so arrogant and so self-important that I didn't like the book because of that reason. Also, because it felt to me like, and, and this is of course just the way I interpreted, it felt to me like the writer, the author, identified with this main character, probably because it was written in first person. But... Um, mm. It felt like he he admired the character. Like this is this is what I would be if I was in this fantasy world. And he was just this arrogant douchebag, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't like the book. In a way, there's nothing wrong with an unlikable character. Of course, uh, there there can be a, uh, your villain will probably be unlikable. But I think the problem is when your main character is unlikable then mm. you couldn't care less what happens to him or her and that's yeah that's what i encountered in you that you don't book. really you're you're less invested in the story because of that yeah for me that was in name of the wind the problem and also the fact that all the other characters around him they all either really looked up to him or they were all really jealous of him and it sounded like this Ego fantasy. <laughs> it felt like this ego fantasy, this book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For me. So I, I don't get why, why people love it so much. I really don't. Then we have uh, five. Predictability. I knew you were going to say that. Haha. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that, okay, that was a joke. Was it annoying? <laughs> it, was a, it was a bad joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> if you see the... The twists coming from miles away. Mm. That's that kind of kills the yeah the in that sense in the book. because uh, personally I I really don't mind predictability in the sense that if it's a, a traditional story and you can sort of 
see uh, like okay now this is going to happen and this is going to happen yeah. that that's fine i mean it can work if it's well done i would say that's more like structure because if you yeah. if you have a fairy tale you know that there's three attempts to do something yeah. and then the third will will succeed yeah. and the but also any romantic comedy any sort of inspirational sports movie not that those are my types of movies but you can always tell oh now they're they're going to have the the moment when they lose and and they have to to learn again what really matters that they have to work together as a team and oh and, and then there's the, a montage <laughs> i trusted you scene yeah. and the romantic yeah. comedy and that to <laughs> me uh, i may not be rapidly in love with those things but that doesn't kill a story what kills a story is uh i think if they deliver it like it's some kind of big unexpected wow moment and it's actually something that you saw coming from yeah a mile i've actually experienced away. that that uh, you feel like the writer's really proud of his coming reveal and and you're like oh it will be something different than the thing that i've i've thought of the entire novel right i hope it's something different and then it's exactly what you anticipated Didn't and then you you're really disappointed have that with the what was it the olympians jason uh what was that that book the lightning thief yeah the lightning thief yeah exactly the writer puts all these tiny references in there mm -hmm. and i was just like he's the son of poseidon it's so obvious and mm -hmm. and in the writing he made it feel like it was something you were not supposed to know yet mm -hmm. and it was building up to it and it was going to be a big surprise but you saw it coming from miles i've had similar experiences in other novels uh one other example is septimus heap which is a very traditional fantasy but actually more intended to be for a younger audience so that kind of excuse uh, how, how young like middle grade i don't know i think yeah yeah in, in that or like case middle grade or, I, or I do think slightly why you have to perhaps. take into account that a, a younger audience children they are not aware yet of these the fact that these things have been done many times over yeah and and it might actually be still fresh for them and then it's not a bad thing there i think that uh, in the plot there was this mysterious boy uh, who didn't have an identity and it was clear from the start who he really was mm -hmm. but it was like this big reveal at the end of the novel and i was really disappointed because the big reveal was something that i knew from the start and, mm -hmm. and of course maybe uh for smaller children it's different but i think harry potter is middle grade and it had some some really great twists that that you didn't see coming what's the next one a plot that is too simple or too complex. That's number six. Okay. Do you want to comment on that? Um, yeah, I think a plot that is too simple. I don't really mind plots being very simple. A very simple plot could be a very good one. But it, yeah, if, if you consider genre, if you have a, a very, very mm. simple plot and it's a detective novel, then you'll probably get disappointed. Because... The genre kind of asks yes. for a very complex yeah. uh, storyline. Yeah, in, in, in a detective, in a crime mystery, 
you do need that. But um, I remember the movie Castaway um, with Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that movie. And it's about as simple as you can get in terms of story. It's basically man gets shipwrecked, man survives on an island for four years, man is rescued, comes home, his wife has remarried, and so he moves on. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the whole story. Yeah, I, I like that movie too. But it's just well done. You can have uh, plots that are too complex. Oh yeah, if definitely. If you really lose yeah. track of uh, the story because the creators want to be too original and put all these kind of references in there and messages, then... Yeah, that, yeah that's another thing. But just sheer complexity. I think these days it's very common in... It didn't used to be, but these days it's quite common in the sort of big budget blockbuster yeah. special effects movies. That kind of bothers me because especially when uh, when they make uh, a comic book into a movie, yeah. nowadays it gets these really complex storylines. Yeah. For me, an, an example of a movie like that, not a comic book movie, but uh, an example would be uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the third one, especially um, at World's End, that was, I think. Mm -hmm. um, that movie has a very sort of contrived, complicated storyline that was hard to follow for me. Mm. I still enjoyed it, but mostly because the music is amazing. I think it's one of, if maybe Hans Zimmer's best score. Yeah, but, that was um, awesome. But the story is, is just it's it's giant. Spaghetti. It's, well, it's <laughs> definitely more complex than the first one, but it didn't really bother me because Jack Sparrow is also he's like drunk. It's just a, a drunk plotline as well. So. I guess, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't hate the movie or anything. It's just that uh, it, it bothered me that it was overcomplicated. The the next topic kind of flows naturally from uh, from the last, um, as and this is especially in fantasy novels. When the learning curve is too steep. Yeah. Now, I would say this is one of those things. It really depends on the execution because there are people who love a steep learning curve. In yeah, fantasy. but I use the word too. So when it's too steep, um, that's a common mistake because you kind of you throw this info dump on people. Right. Yeah. And they just get crushed by it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. It, there's a, a point where it really goes too far for anyone. But, I mean, there are writers, like, I hear this about Steven Erickson. I haven't read his books yet, but um, I hear this about him, that his books have this incredibly steep learning curve. They are very difficult to understand at first, because the, the world is so different and so complicated. Um, but... Um, but there are people who love that be just because of that reason. They love the books. Yeah, I think there are a lot of published writers with steep uh, learning curves. Like Brandon Sanderson has rather steep learning curves, I think. I think in Stormlight Archive... In, in the latter it does. works, uh, indeed. It's Mistborn is... Not in is, his YA. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I think, it, I think he, he manages to make it quite accessible. Um, he's got complicated world building, but he does deliver it piece by piece. But what I wanted to say is uh, published authors, uh, they usually don't have too steep learning curves because the 
the publishing company really pay, pays attention to that. The, yeah. the few times when I've encountered um, st- uh, two steep learning curves was uh, with uh, self-published novels. Okay. So, yeah, what you mean is like on page one, you have like 10 different names for objects and people and yeah. th- items and countries and things. Yeah. That overwhelms and then you just... Your head explodes, literally. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, and uh, that brings us to bad metaphors and comparisons. Yeah, it's a very nice segue. Um, Yeah, we should have had some examples of this ready. Um, Oh, I I have a a few examples. I I don't... Maybe I've mentioned them in a former podcast. I don't know. I once had a script writing class at university. Mm Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we were used to comment on each other's work. And I remember two occasions where the professor really said, you should not write this. And that was when someone wrote thoughts shot through his head like bullets because it's very visual and it just doesn't work. And then another student wrote, his eyes floated in horniness. <laughs> <laughs> So things like that don't really work. No, no. <laughs> I can see why they would. Especially in a movie script, I, I really wonder how you would translate it to screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. I, I've, I've, I've read that some movie scripts are very sort of literary in the way they sort of describe events that happen. I, I don't think that works for a movie script. I think it should be as, as direct and simple and clear as possible. But who am I? Bad comparisons to me, and, and I see them sometimes in published books even, is when you compare something that you're trying to describe to the audience mm-hmm. to something that is actually as strange and alien to them as what you're trying to describe. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, if you use a comparison, a comparison should be there to help the reader visualize yeah. or, you know, imagine what you're describing. And if you, you compare it to something that is even more strange than the thing that you're trying to describe, then you're not helping the reader. You're just probably just being proud of yourself for coming up with an original comparison. And um, I don't like that. Oh, yeah. And an- another thing that I've encountered is um, when people want to compare especially in fantasy, when they mm-hmm. want to make a comparison to something that you know, which is a good thing, like mm-hmm. you just mentioned. But if they compare, for example, the sound of um, uh, someone doing a spell with um, the sound of an old motorcycle, that wouldn't really work because there are no motorcycles in the world. Yeah. So that's something yeah. else I've encountered, that people um, use things from the real world to compare uh, fantasy elements with and that kind of breaks the immersion. I think in older books they used to do that more. I think contemporary fantasy writers are more aware of this and I think that's that's actually good. Yeah, also I think that's because of the popularity of limited point of views. Yeah, probably. That's probably it. They experience a story through the eyes of a character and you're less likely to make a mistake like that. Yeah. That way. That's true. Okay, two more items on our list. The ninth one is cliches. 
And by that, these agents particularly mean trite words and phrases. Uh, for example, sick as a dog, cool as a cucumber, green with envy, etc. Uh, angry with rage. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, what? Angry with rage? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think in the case of these sort of trite phrases, it's okay to use them if you use them between inverted commas, if um, a character in dialogue uses them. Yeah, you could have a character who who's actually famous for his cliches, for example. Yeah. And then it would work. But if in, of course, yeah, if in your main narration, if it's not through the eyes of a character, you use phrases like that, it sounds like you're just not very inspired as a writer, I guess. But it doesn't really bother me, but that's the type of reader that I am. Yeah, I think it, it, it would bother agents. I tend to be more bothered by pretentious writing than uninspired writing, but that's me. Yeah, it's not everyone. And then we have number 10, uh, word repetition. Word repetition. This is like something that like speaks for itself, like uh, you just <laughs> repeat uh, very words, like you always use the same word. Like There are different ways and this could happen. Uh, one of them is if you have like a stock phrase that you always use, Yeah. Uh, like... He nodded, <laughs> for example. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk later about why we're laughing now. <laughs> yeah. Um, another... Rather, you can use the word rather. Uh, that's, that's not a problem, but if you use it in every sentence, yeah. constantly. The... Uh, usually the, these are things that you're not aware of as a writer, yeah. right? That's the, that's the painful part, because you really need readers to point it out to you. But uh, an another way this might happen, and that's the more common one, and that's one that, that uh, it's very difficult to avoid, is if you are writing a scene in a novel and um, you have a subject and you start most sentences with, the, you know, that same word, you know, like, for example, the car. You, it's a scene about the car. The car moved... Uh, you know, the car did this, the car did that, um, you know, yeah. and then the word car is on, on on three or four lines. And then you uh, can replace them with uh, it or the vehicle, yeah. but sometimes it, it might feel artificial yeah. that way. I think that's that's very difficult. That's something very difficult to avoid. You have to really reread and look closely. Yeah. So. Okay. Right, you still wanted to add a couple of things. To yeah, so there was this list uh, that we went over. Um, and But the list contains mostly things that agents who review manuscripts get worked up about. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to discuss some of the flaws in writing. There are a bit more um, things that we don't like. Perhaps we've mentioned this before, but in the series Merlin, which I really enjoyed, I thought it was yeah. amazing... The atmosphere was great. The characters were awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the series as well. Well, but, we both watched it yeah, twice. But there was something that really annoyed me. And that was um, they used a mole. And that in itself is not... It, it's okay. You can have a mole. But then the next season, there was another mole. Yeah. And the next season, someone else was the mole. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Where the problem lied with the mole situation in Merlin was that in, I, I believe it was the third season, 
the mole uh, was actually, there was someone in the castle, in Camelot, who was actually a character who had once been a dear friend to the main characters, Morgana. She had become evil, but it was a very difficult, conflicted sort of evolution towards becoming evil. And she still had ties with them, but she was also angry and... You know, they had really built this up very well. And then she, when she was evil, she, she was acting friendly to them. But at the same time, she was also working together with uh, yeah. Morgos. So that's a good mole. The, the villain. Character. Yeah, and that made her a good mole character. And that worked because there was all... You, you could understand why the others trusted her. And, and, and you could understand why they, they could never conceive of the idea that she was actually against them, etc. Mm-hmm. So that was really well done. It was built up over three seasons. But then suddenly in season four, there's this new character, Lord Agravain, who you've never heard of. Um, but he's the uncle of... Yeah, um, uh, yeah. and suddenly he's uh, Arthur's most trusted advisor... Of, of Arthur, yeah, he's yeah, his and, uncle. And, and he trusts him with everything. And he's he's the mole, obviously. And, from, and, yeah, it's obvious from the start. And, yeah, and Morgana is the villain, and, and he's the one who reports everything to her. But the, that really doesn't work, because Lord Agravain is a completely new character. You, you don't understand why Arthur would trust him so much, why they would never uh, conceive of him as a, as a, as a villain. Yeah. He wasn't there before, so... And he was never mentioned. Yeah. So he, he just, he turns up and he has yeah. 100% unlimited trust and yeah. power. Exactly. Um, the reason why that really didn't work was because they had done it so well first and then they repeated it and the second time was worse. It's like, and let's get even more controversial, it's like the new Star Wars movies. <laughs> Where yeah. they repeat things from the old movies, but uh, but worse. Um, yeah, and so. I, yeah. I thought it was it was really bothering me because uh, the the reasons you you just mentioned, and it's frustrating as well for the for the audience, because you know he's so obviously evil, mm. and trusted characters that have been there from season one pointed out to Arthur and he doesn't mm. listen because he has this 100% unlimited trust in his character mm-hmm. and it just doesn't make sense. It's it's not credible that way and that's what makes it frustrating. I think we've talked about resetting accomplishments uh, before, right? Mm-hmm. In another episode, like they did with the new Star Wars movies. They have this build-up, characters achieve certain things, they grow, and then suddenly there's a reset because they Mm -hmm. really want to invoke the feeling of the original trilogy and they kind of ignore everything that these characters have been through in the other uh, movies. And and that's that's really frustrating as a fan. I would believe as uh, someone who just discovers Star Wars, it wouldn't really bother you that much. But if you've watched the series and you like these characters, then yeah, I understand why so many people were angry. Yeah, I'm one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Another uh, storytelling flaw that I see a lot in very high fantasy sort of storytelling, especially things like Doctor Who. Doctor Who does this all the time, and I think it's extremely frustrating, um, is when 
it it all gets so weird at some point what happens that things can suddenly just sort of happen and there's no explanation at all for them oh yeah um it's hard to explain this if you haven't watched doctor who but doctor who has this tendency to create storylines that are so crazy and over the top and out there yeah, that and far-fetched yeah with all kinds of time traveling paradoxes etc then suddenly someone says i'll open a bloopy mobile dimension door and then we can turn the universe inside out and then everything's okay and then they do that and everything's okay <laughs> and i'm like i have no idea what happened but i guess everything's okay now but <laughs> this is like our big complaining episode it's like we're having us two having fun complaining about what other people do wrong. That's why this episode is so high energy because you know but, it's uh, so fun to, <laughs> to complain about things. But um, shame on us. Yeah, it is. It, it, it. We should be ashamed. But nevertheless, we are. We are deeply ashamed. To me, it just leaves me frustrated because how can I feel any? excitement or emotion about what happened if if i don't even get what happened um, yeah i think i understand what you mean although i i really liked uh doctor who especially um the david tennant seasons and the christopher eccleston seasons and uh, matt, matt i don't Smith know it's, season the first it's very strange i liked it at the time but in retrospect i don't like even the episodes that i did like i don't like anymore I, it's sort of like I realized afterwards that I actually don't like it. There were a lot of weaker episodes, but I still really liked the concept of it and the the kind of atmosphere, if you can call it like that. It, it was it had this Doctor Who quality about it that nothing else had. So it 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 can be compared with anything. Doctor Who is just it's a, a genre in itself almost. And uh, I, I did really like it. I don't know. It's There are but, a lot of things that really frustrate me about yeah, it. Yeah, I understand what you mean. If you have this really far-fetched um, multiple universe technological explanation that makes everything all yeah. right, it feels like a deus ex machina sometimes. It, mm -hmm. it just feels like the the writer is easing his way out of the, yeah. the plot. There were also other things that bothered me in Doctor Who, but... But those are more, those are not really storytelling crafts related per se. Um, okay, okay so. so we've been complaining a lot about stuff. I, I apologize if I've been too negative in this episode. So to make up for the complaining, we will um, bring ourselves down and talk about our common mistakes in writing. Yes, because we are also uh, storytellers and uh, we also do bad things and make mistakes yeah terrible things so um what i tend to do is use inconsistent tenses <gasps> dun, dun, dun. well as you know i'm not a native speaker that it's not an excuse um but because flemish has tenses too <laughs> yeah but not english tenses obviously yeah. um but I, I recently read a helpful tip for that. Um, when I, for example, use a limited um, perspective in the past, I have trouble 
keeping it in the past. And I, I recently read that you should really keep it in the past at all times. Even when it would be okay to use a present. Yeah, for example... Um, Johnny went to Mark, his best friend. Um, Mark is a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. Because it might be that Mark still is a doctor now. So it might be possible to exactly. use a present tense. Exactly. I would be tempted to use a, a present tense from yeah. then on. Because when writing, I want everything to be correct. And if he's still a, a doctor, I, I feel uncomfortable writing that he was one. Because, you know, it's a past tense and he's still a doctor. And But yeah, yeah I should but just get over it. And yeah, it's not exactly wrong to say he was a doctor at that time also. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's just... One of my quirks. Then um, a second thing we've been talking about that I really tend to do is um, write two steep learning curves. Right. And I really mean I'm this person who writes one sentence at the beginning of a new story. And I would invent 10 new words for uh, fantasy things <laughs> in yeah. the world that would later become clear through through the uh, experiences of the of the character but if you throw in 10 words in the first paragraph that people have never heard of you really have a too steep learning curve well yeah that's true um but i think you can avoid that not everything has to have a fantasy word yeah you can just use a normal word I, I really have this, this weird tendency that, oh, it's fantasy, you cannot use the word plate because they would call it differently, so I will replace the word plate by... Uh, eating units. Yeah, eating <laughs> units. And then you have the... If the, it's a science fiction the story. The fork will be a, a pricking unit or something. And a pricking device. <laughs> a pricking device. And then I will a, call a it chair, the, the sitting device. And yeah. then, you know, it becomes tiring if you if you write like that. And yeah. I've actually written entire chapters like that. And when I when I was reading those again, I was embarrassed. And I was now, like, oh. I, I do remember that in, in the book The Giver by Lois Lowry, mm -hmm. um, they called um, a teddy bear a comfort object. But that was to illustrate that this is a very sort of cold and inhuman sort of society. They are very cerebral and and, and there's no sense of coziness. And, and they look at everything in, in a practical way. And and therefore, uh, a, a teddy bear is called a comfort object. Yeah, and, it's, and it's a good. family is, yeah. is called a family unit. Right. Everything yeah. is very practical. And it's it's good to, to use fantasy terms there. Yeah. Because they help to to establish what kind of a setting this is. Yeah. But if exactly. you just use fancy words because... Because you have a compulsive desire to put in family names, uh, to put in fantasy names, then that's not a yeah, good or, or you feel obliged, or if you feel obligated yeah. in some way. Yeah, that, that's not necessary. In my case, it's just pure neurotic compulsion, I think. Mm. <laughs> Something That's else okay. I need to get That's rid of. Okay. But I really loved um, The Giver. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And there's four books, by the way. Then um, a last thing on my confession list here is um, that I write two complex plot lines. And um, one example to illustrate that is I 
kind of helped Domin out when he was stuck with the beast of the Western Wilds. You did help, <laughs> definitely. Because and I really was stuck. I had this really complex plotline for the ending that was yeah. conspiracy within conspiracy. and Yes, it was very convoluted. <laughs> It was like Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Well, reading it <laughs> afterwards, it was plain ridiculous. But I think you took a couple of elements and then built yeah. the ending from, from there. And You really helped me because uh, through your overly complicated storyline, <laughs> I did get from that some core elements that I thought, well, if I just sort of trim every, everything else and, and just leave in those few elements... And, and change this here and add that, then we've got the story right there. Um, and so it really did help me. So I think perhaps it's not a bad thing to write a plot line, an outline that is too complicated, if it can help you sort of look at it then from a distance and say, okay, this yeah. is obviously too complicated. What can I leave out? How can I make this simpler? And you arrive at something that is still robust, not too simple but also not too complicated. I, th I think it's actually a good way to build a story. I think these flaws uh, illustrate that your uh, writing errors are usually tied to your personality. I tend to overthink things. I'm really... You are very analytical. Yeah. And I usually, I got the same uh, feedback from teachers when I was in, in high school. For example, I sucked at math. But sometimes I would have this very complex calculation and I would come up with the right answer, but it was so much more complex than what we actually needed to learn that I lost credits because of that. And in other uh, subjects as well, I was just, I was really always looking for a very far-fetched answer while the answers were usually much more simple. And, um, yeah, you do have that tendency. And that's really hard because I think all my writing flaws are kind of connected to that. And I should get over it. But of course, uh, I have Domain. And, and my flaw is that I'm too simple. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I don't think at all. <laughs> he's a great help also um, revising my text, uh, looking at consistency. I sucked at math too, by the way. When but I, I just was, I just sucked. I think a lot of people who love writing sucked at math. <laughs> I think I sucked much harder than you did. <laughs> so, um, so it's good to have someone to back you up if yeah. you have all these kind, uh, these yeah. tendencies that are really bad for yeah. storytelling. It's true. I suck at most things, by the way. Uh, I mean, I'm I, I'm one of those guys. I'm good at a few things and bad at everything else. <laughs> it's true. Even video games. I mean, we've, we've, we, we talk a bit of, about video games in this podcast. I enjoy them quite a bit, but I, I'm really bad at them. I'm really bad at video games. Well, in your defense, you're a great husband and a great father. Okay, so what are your... Um flaws when it comes to storytelling and writing? Well, um, I, I'm aware of the fact that I have a big problem with... I'll just say it. Say it. Word repetition. I do. I have a big say problem. Say that again? Word repetition. Oh. I have a problem with word repetition. I repeat words 
And because I repeat them so much, it leads to word repetition. <laughs> and I have these sort of stock phrases that I put in here and there everywhere. In Witch Hunter, it's he nodded or she nodded or person yeah. X nodded. I have this feeling sometimes that the, the structure of a paragraph, the flow of a conversation or the flow of a description needs a small little sentence here and there to sort of, you know, make yeah. it breathe a bit. Yeah, and, and therefore, I tend to write <laughs> these unnecessary, pointless little phrases like he nodded or uh, he looked around or... Yeah, there's a lot of nodding in Witch Hunter. That's yes. True. But I, uh, when reading other fiction, I noticed a lot of authors struggle with this as well. Even the, the big names like Brandon Sanderson. Uh, in some of his works, I really notice uh, recurring words, uh, unnecessary word repetitions in the same yeah. chapter or same paragraph. So it's, yeah. it's not uncommon. That's, yeah, just using the same word a few times in a row. Um, I've, I, I tend to do that. I try to change it afterwards, but I sometimes miss, miss things. But it's uh, kind of nice if people point it out to us, right? Yes, that's true. Because um, they, th and they did, they yeah. did, uh, on YouTube. Indeed, because apparently in the Beasts of the Western Wilds, it was, but he didn't mind. I used that three or four times. Uh, blah, 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 but he didn't mind. It, normally he wouldn't have liked this, but blah blah blah. But today he didn't mind. Yeah, apparently, yeah, I did it there. Um, so it's it's one of those ticks that I have. Another one that I do is I tend to describe people's feelings a bit too much. I think it's a mistake that I had that I make. It's because you're such a sentimental guy. <laughs> I don't know about that, but there are moments when a conversation is happening, and then. I describe how what one person says makes the other person feel. And perhaps it would be better if the, in the dialogue the, those feelings would become apparent. Okay. Uh, and it's a bit, you know, show versus tell, that sort of thing. It might be one of those mistakes that we maybe didn't mention. Showing versus telling. Yeah. Should we come back to that? or? Well, yeah, that usually refers to... Um and we, we heard it a lot in the, the script writing courses at university, especially in uh, film script writing. It's very important that you don't tell about the personality of characters, but you mm -hmm. make it apparent through the way they react, mm -hmm. what their actions are, yes. uh, etc. Yeah, indeed, that's it. And I very often still make the mistake of telling people too much, uh, how someone feels, what someone is like. Uh, yeah, I think it's a hard one to, to master as well. It is. Another one of my many flaws and mistakes and failures is um, that often I have a goal in mind for where the plot needs to go, what needs to happen. The, the characters need to arrive at place X and in order to get them there, I sort of straighten the roads for them and make it way too easy because I'm impatient and mm -hmm. I want I want the characters oh right I need to get I need to have them arrive at that place at that time so would I you, sort of leave you, out obstacles um, yeah. and would, that yeah. would you classify that as uh, a lack of conflict 
Yeah, yeah, I would. And I, I did that, you know, uh, people may not know this, but uh, Witch Hunter uh, went through many iterations. And at one point, uh, we had fully created and produced it as a three and a half hour audio drama. And um, in that version, um, I think there were lots of things wrong with that version. Um, but this was one of the things that was wrong. It all went too... It was too easy for them. You know, there, there were no difficulties on the way. And so uh, what I did in, in, in the, the final version that, that's on YouTube and on our podcast now, um, I added a character, Gorli Vosk, um, who is a member of sort of, sort of the the sort of internal affairs, I guess, for the witch hunters, uh, who investigates uh, witch hunters who've gone rogue, so to speak, and um, and just having him there and m- making him uh, a sort of uh, trustee of uh, Lady Huskiv added the element of danger, uh, being followed, uh, having someone. Looking for yeah, them. Chase them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like Gorley Wask. I um I like the the dramatized audiobook version more. And not just because it's at this uh, point I, I despise the, the <laughs> earlier version. Yeah, but wasn't it the earlier version that won the Ogle Award? Yeah. And not the dramatized audiobook? No. Yeah. yeah. The the dramatized audiobook didn't actually win anything. But I think it's much better. Yeah, I, I, I would agree on that because uh, not just because it's longer, but it's I, I get more invested in the story because there are more characters and interesting uh, yeah. plot lines. Also, also the, there were major plot holes in the original version and the ending sucked. The ending was terrible. <laughs> and and um, it took me a few years to actually come up with a, a decent ending. But finally, we we did it, and well, now we can move on. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I have to note that uh, sometimes, the mean still wants to revisit Witch Hunter and writes yet another version, and I really have to hold him and tie him up uh, on a chair because we should really there move are, on with other stories. There are still stories. many things that annoy me and bother <laughs> me about Witch Hunter. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Self criticism is a bitch, right? <laughs> oh, there are things. There are things in in Witch Hunter that make me feel like if this was a story by someone else, I would have been really annoyed with this. Then another thing that I struggle with is um, keeping track of little storytelling details, like a character loses something in one scene, and then you know, a couple of scenes later, suddenly he has it again. Uh, where did that come from? That's the sort of thing, luckily, that my lovely wife is very good at. Um, she notices these things. She says, how come he's got his hat here? Whereas you described in the previous scene that his hat fell down a bottomless chasm, for example. Yeah. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, it, I pay attention to these things. Yeah. Sometimes too much attention, but yeah. It's one of the things that I admire in other people's writing when they when they do that really well. I think it's 
One of the things that were uh, sort of underrated in the Hobbit movies. I think the, the Hobbit films are very underrated. I think they are much, much better than people give them credit for. Uh, and one of the things that I th thought was really well done in that trilogy was um, how characters lose swords and staffs and hats and <laughs> and then they how they get them back and it all makes sense you know and it's yeah. it's actually quite complicated if you see how Thorin loses his sword and how it comes back to him and the same with Gandalf's staff you notice at the beginning of the hobbit he's got a different staff than the one he has in Lord of the Rings and you might think at first oh they changed the design but no it's actually it's a different one because The staff he has in The Lord of the Rings is the one he got from uh, Radagast in the third Hobbit movie. And yeah. I just, I like how that all sort of fits together. It's well done. Yeah, in most movies you can really find a number of things that just are not consistent or lost uh, details. Yes. So, um, and I'm sure I have many other flaws as well as a storyteller. I'm working on them. <laughs> But I the one thing that I hope I don't do is write a main character that you dislike. Uh, that's that's one of the main things that I really don't want to do. I think it's it's always subjective whether you like a main character mm. or not. But I certainly like Ludlow. I think a lot of people do. I know there are a number of characters that I really don't like. And that other people do like, so it's 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 subjective, I guess. But I think people who dislike Ludlow, they just won't read on. That I I would be I would be bothered by that. I think. <laughs> no, everyone's going to going to write that in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another writer who is really good at paying attention to details is J.K. Rowling. You have mm. to admire that, especially the the seven Harry Potter books. There are details in the first book that mm. that have um, that get resolved at the end of the series. It's remarkable what and she, how they all come back. And what she remembers. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember a lot of details from books, so I really pay attention to that. And I was I was amazed by uh, by that in in the J.K. Rowling uh, series of Harry Potter. I tend to forget these things when I write myself. It's much harder to keep track. But if you're reading a series in one go, um, I, I really, really pay attention to things mm. like that. And I think it's it's important. It's kind of... For, for me, it's more important than spelling. That it has to be consistent. It has to, it has to fit. It has to mm. make sense. And I think she does that really, really well. So, um, in conclusion, we really hope you enjoyed our lists of common mistakes in storytelling. And yes. uh, that and they will be helpful for you um, in your particular creative process. Feel free uh, to share with us what you're working on in the comments section, because uh, we're always interested to learn mm -hmm. what our listeners are working on. And I would say, don't beat yourself up over mistakes. Just learn from them. You know, mistakes are unavoidable. You're not a bad writer because you write mistakes, whatever kind of mistakes. It's just, yeah, it's it's a process. Right, uh, and you have to rewrite. 
you have to rewrite anyway. It's very important. Yeah, I think that's one of one of the reasons why a lot of people who want to write don't finish anything is because they want to have it perfect like me. right away uh, from the first go. <laughs> and that's not possible. No. You have to have a certain oh well we'll fix it in post production mentality. Yeah, and and just move on with the writing yeah. because I always tend to edit and re-edit while writing and that's that's just terrible because it'll take no, you do, 30 years too. to finish the, the, something. The, a lot of that is just fear, fear, uncertainty. That's really your biggest enemy. So move on. Yeah. A last uh, piece of advice that we wanted to give you is uh, write with fun and passion. Even when it can become kind of a burden sometimes, uh, trying to get it right and especially after all the common mistakes we've talked about, it might feel uh, intimidating that you have to pay attention to all of these different things. And this was actually just the tip of the iceberg. But it's it's important that you just ride on with passion and fun without uh, pondering too much about all these traps that you might fall in. Uh, you, you always have rewriting. That's no problem. Yes, exactly. And um, the more mistakes you make, the more... F- fun and interesting rewriting actually might be. You might look at it that way. If you have to go over your book and rewrite it and it, you have trouble finding anything wrong with it, it might be a boring process. Right. <laughs> uh, but if, if you can tell right away, oh, uh, that needs to be different than that, then you know what to do. Uh, so you can get in the zone more easily. It helps if you have a writing buddy who has different strengths, different flaws, and who is bluntly honest with you. And And we have that. Yeah. Because, again, you know, um, take, for example, Beast of the Western Wilds. I don't know what, whether I would have even managed to finish it without Eileen. So, there. Sometimes he just needs a little push. A little nudge out of the door. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Because, you know, beating yourself up over all these things it doesn't doesn't really help you forward anyway. So sometimes you need someone to remind you of the, the positive things, your strengths, and, and you'll be all right. Okay, that wraps it up for this week. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you again. Our tea is finished, so it's time to say goodbye. goodbye. Time to... <laughs> Say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, we won't do a musical in the future or something. <laughs> Maybe you might. Okay. Bye. That was this week's episode for the Storytelling Podcast for uh, from Audio Epics. I hope you've enjoyed it. And um, despite all our weaknesses that we admitted to, I hope you can still enjoy our stories, uh, which you can find on this podcast, on our YouTube channel. And if you want to support us, um, you can definitely do that by purchasing the stories on Bandcamp. Just go to audioepics.bandcamp.com or you can buy our books from Amazon. There are a ton of books called Witch Hunter on Amazon. (laughs) But um, if you type in Witch Hunter and then my name, Domine, D-O-M-I-E-N, then you'll find our witch hunter and the beast of the western wilds. Anyway, thanks for listening and talk to you soon.